So the New Ape Heroes is uh, actually a series of projects. First and foremost, it is a new video game. Not just any video game, but a video game for the greatest console of all time, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And it's also a documentary. It's a film about the creators of this project and their insane quest to build something that's actually going to function on that hardware. And last but not least, it is a series of tutorials that can help you or other people who might be interested in making their own Nintendo Entertainment System game. It'll be a little bit more updated than this. What's up, world? Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. They, they, they insert here. Yo. It's a terrible game. Bottom line. It's terrible in every way. Graphically, it's terrible. Gameplay is terrible. It's just terrible. Uh, angry Nick mad. That game sucked, and it's gonna suck no matter how many revisions they make, and it just sucked even more because they put a connect with it. Uh, angry Nick mad. Or if there's violence, I'll just laugh and enjoy the fun. Kaz Hazari. Hazari. Kaz Harai. 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 They just kind of got tired of Angry Nick on the first one and said, yeah, I'm gonna pass. Oh, yeah, so I do. It's me, precisely. No. 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 I, I, per I no. do all my work. No. No. Yeah, I'm you guys are so I don't. Cute. Oh, thank you. I try. I mean, let's face it, Mario, and to a lesser extent, Zelda, is what carries Nintendo at this point. Always be radical. I love your little podcast. You're the bestest thing ever. For the promise of the new Super Smash Brothers and the Zelda game, yes. Will not find a better story presented in any other game genre, in my personal opinion. Like, JRPGs have that. They have that story. That's what the entire game felt like. Oh my god, I want to bang my head into a wall. It's a podcast of this weekend. Can someone remind me? I thought it was a video game podcast. You're listening to the Game Source Podcast. I can see you talking, I cannot hear you. Okay. Alright, screw it. We'll just do it the crappy way. Okay. That works for me. <laughs> no problem. I'm a, you know, I've got this beautiful recording studio and it seems like it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you're, you're right now I'm talking to you through the hub of the studio so you don't you don't see its epicness but it's, it's, it's all it's all around you I can believe that <laughs> so yeah man thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me to chat about this uh, no problem um, you know we were just talking with Rob at uh, the classic gaming expo and he mentioned you and it was like hey that that's something we're interested in and so I'm glad he made an introduction for us. Yeah, I really wanted to try and get out to that. That would have been perfect. But alas, that was not in the cards. Vegas is a little bit of a, a long trip. But yes. hoping, you know, we, we had, we, we've been talking for a while. I've, I've been online with him for about two years. Um, I was doing another sort of related project to this, and I met him then. And when this project came up, he's like, dude, yes, we need to, you know, we need to coordinate on this to the point where he's almost been like another member of the team because he's like so into the project. Uh, he says it's like the logical successor of the spiritual successor of his project. You know, his is about the games that were and ours is about the games that will be, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we have this vision where we're going to come out to California and there's definitely going to have to be a whiskey drinking drive through the desert from L.A. to Las Vegas while blasting <laughs> Queens of the Stone Age and Bark Market. So it's, Yeah. It's in the cards. Well, there's nothing better to do on that drive. Ugh, I hate it. <laughs> oh, I've done it a couple of times. I used to. 
I used to tour with a rock band, and we we did that stretch a couple of times. In the middle of the heat waves of August and whatnot, it was not fun. A car with no air conditioning, you know. That would be miserable. I, I mean, yeah. I've done it for conventions or to hit up yeah. Disney with family or something, but sure. Oh man, that that can get horrible. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I will never go to a convention in August again. I'm so glad right. they rescheduled it to uh, October, November timeframe. Seriously, the one I normally go to. Seriously. Yeah, man. So tell me about your your podcast, man. What's what's the deal with this show? Um, basically, I just like interview people and let you guys talk about what you want. Um, All right. You know, I, I I try and ask engaging questions to um, so that it doesn't sound like you're just talking into a microphone. You know. Sure. Um, I don't really have my own podcast. Some of the other ones do. I personally hate the sound of my own voice, so okay. I, I don't. Um, I, but I, I tend to be like on our side. I review, um, like the Chemco makes these old school eight bit to PlayStation era um, RPGs, and I tend to review those when they come out every month for, for uh-huh. the site. So I mean. The, the, the classic thing kind of gets thrown on me whenever anything comes up because that's something that I kind of do. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I mean, you know, I'd interview somebody from Halo even though I hate the franchise. You know, <laughs> right, that's right, what right. they tell me to do. I'm going to go do it. I, I, I would totally sit down on a lecture with Michael Bay even though I hate Michael Bay films, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm sure he'd give you some really great insight into... What not to do? What not to do? (laughs) Exactly. Don't ruin classic cartoon shows. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know what I'm scared of. He's gonna get through these classic cartoon shows and then turn his attention to like classic films. Yeah. So like, since he's got the budget, he'll remake Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. You know, like, oh, I will have to. He will be assassinated. It will be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I'll feel bad because it'll still do well in. Oh yeah, though, which, which which will yeah, which will only prompt more. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be a scary thing. Exactly. So, so. Um, my understanding of your project is, you, sometime in the past, wanted to do like a Zelda documentary type thing, uh-huh. on Kickstarter, and that failed. Right. And so this kind of came out uh, because of that, mixed with you finding stuff in your right. parents. Um, storage and so it's so the Kickstarter that you're doing now is kind of a cross between how the old Kickstarter failed how you went about finding you know this one making a game for the NES it's also going to have cross-platform functionality with I'm guessing PC I haven't exactly found anything but cross-functionality with some other game and the two games are going to talk back and forth between the NES and the pretty, that's a that's a pretty close summation. Okay, I'll get, I just I'll want to make you, sure I'm on the right yep, track. You're totally you on the right track. Let me give you a little bit question. more uh, a little bit more reference. Um, so basically, with the Zelda documentary, how that came about was uh, me and another filmmaker when I was living in Baltimore. Me and another filmmaker there, um, we were on a shoot for a feature film, and it was a breakneck pace film. It was like eight days to shoot a uh, you know, hundred page script and it was, it was insane. And I was audio teching and he was, he was sort of a second camera and um, the second unit, unit camera. And we were, we would 
break from like 12, 13 hour days and we were tired, but we couldn't go to sleep and we were just so pissed off and angry about the, the, the process because like the director wasn't getting along with the cinematographer and you know, all, all kinds of chaos. The actors didn't have chemistry and whatever. So we would come home and we would, we had our, our, I mean, this is 2009. I think we had the Wii set up and we would rock old school NES games on the, you know, through the, 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 the shop there, the eShop. And we downloaded Zelda two because, you know, I'd said, you know, it's weird. I'm a huge Zelda nerd, but I have never beat Zelda two in my entire life. I, Played it as a kid, and, and you know, just moved on from it, and never beat it. He's like, me too. We never, so neither of us had ever beat it. So we started, we uh, we we downloaded it, and we just made it a mission before the film was done being shot. We were gonna beat Zelda two, and uh, you know, we we during the over the course of that, we you know, we were remembering parts of the game and stuff like that. Well, we didn't grow up together. I mean, he grew up in California. I grew up in New York, and we realized we had this really bizarro sort of shared experience we it was as if we had shared this experience even though we didn't meet for another decade after that you know and uh and we found that really interesting we're like you know that that's probably a story with a lot of creatives a lot of other people um that have have played these games and we were you know jokingly said yeah i wonder how many celebrities and i want you know it's only a, a generation away from you know the president of the united states having been a big zelda fan and we you know made a big joke and we said, you know, that might be a really interesting idea for a documentary. Maybe we do a documentary on not the games themselves, but sort of like the influence that they've had and and the creative projects that are coming out now that are inspiring a whole new generation and how they had their roots and inspiration in the NES era Zelda games. And we, you know, we met a lot of people like um, what the the guy who writes the film, uh, the Goldbergs. Um, he and he also uh, had a hand in writing a lot of episodes of Community, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, Fanboys bunch of other stuff um he was like hugely inspired by the legend of zelda franchise and you know and he's a big hollywood filmmaker now and we found musicians and we found you know professional author published authors and and so it was a really cool idea for a documentary and we put it out there and uh years later when i had no project i just moved to sarasota and i was like i want to do a project but man i don't know too many people in sarasota to make a film yet how about a documentary Ooh, i got an idea i'll i'll pull out this zelda ip this this is a cool idea and so I, I put it up on Kickstarter and got some really good support from a lot of the community. And then support just kind of died midway into the campaign and never picked up again. And I don't really know why. And no one else really knows why. It just is something that just sort of happened. Um, so that kind of got put on the back burner. And I've been chipping away at it whenever I can. I've been, you know, going this place, this place, whatever travel budget could allow me to work on it. But it hasn't really seen a big increase in so there's only so much I can do on personal budget. And um, while I was working on that project, I went out to my tool shed at my parents' house while I was visiting them for the holidays. And it was a miserable snowstorm. It was beautiful for video purposes. And I went out there and I, to find all my old Nintendo stuff, all my old, my old NES stuff, because I thought that'd make for cool for the, for the Zelda documentary. And when I was out there, I found these old illustrations I'd done at like seven, eight years old for this game called Mystic Searches that I I created when I was a kid, and I, I brought them back to back to Florida with me, and just you know as a, as on a whim, and it just kind of ate away at me like you know I'm a programmer now I I could probably learn assembly enough to actually make this game, and so I spent a little I spent about six months you know toying around with assembly language and 
and learning how you know exactly how the NES was programmed and all the idiosyncrasies of the console. And I said, you know, maybe this will make would make a really interesting documentary. You know, not just me making this game, but what if I took? I, I know so many people who are professional creatives. I know comic illustrators and published novelists and and graphic designers at major studios and things like that. What if I gathered a, mo- a group of modern creatives and that, that are all really good at their craft and could demonstrate you know proficiency in their craft, but then had them retrofit their games, uh, their skills to make an 8-bit NES game and just to show the challenge of making that game and how you can still make a compelling experience for a player even within those limitations and things like that. And so we, I talked to the group of creatives about it, and everyone was super psyched. And I talked to a couple people in the gaming industry and the people at Nest Dev and Nintendo Age, and they were super psyched. So I said, all right, well, I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll, we'll put it out there. We'll see if there's interest. And if there is, we'll do a Kickstarter. So I put a little feeler video out there, and like 500 people liked the feeler video. I was like, okay, let's do this thing. Sure. We didn't even promote that video. It just kind of went minorly viral. And so we said, okay, yeah, let's do this thing and launch Kickstarter. And that leads us to now. Yep. So, you so that was you were, you were pretty close. You just had to need a little <laughs> bit more backstory. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I I could only get so much searching yep. the internet, whereas you have it all stored in your brain already. Right, right, right. And I've I've, I've only told the story five thousand times now in the last two weeks. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's very rehearsed at this point. Um, no, but uh, the as far as the game being played, we thought that that was something that I've always thought of for the last. 15 years, I thought that ever since, you know, people started playing games on their PCs and web games started to become popular and things like that, I said, wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be cool if you had an 8-bit NES game that also could do XYZ, you know, like, uh, I think that first, that idea first came to me uh, back at, like, the turn of the millennium, I was touring with a rock band, and we had this idea, let's make a game for promotion, and people can play the game, and if they beat a level, it unlocks a song off of an unreleased album. And so they beat all 12 levels, and they have a whole new album. Wouldn't that be awesome, you know? And and uh, so, we, I mean, we toyed around. We made a NES-like game at that time, and you know, but that was the root of it. We always thought that was kind of a cool thing. And so when I started to make this project, I said, you know, not everyone has an NES, and not everyone likes that aesthetic. What about the people that like that? You know, would be interested in the game, but want a different way to play it, or you know? And we said, well, wouldn't it be neat anyway to have like a multi-platform game, like show why the NES game was so cool, and show you know almost like the evolution of it and where it would be if it was made for today's console, or you know at least iOS device or something like that. You know, a, a modern day game. And so we started to mess around, and we talked to a bunch of people about the possibility. I've got a hardware developer that's actually on the team. Uh, we talked to a couple guys who who have done like flash carts that, that take like SD cards. You can load ROMs to them and play them on NES and stuff like that. Um, and we talked about the possibility. And they were super jazzed. They're like, oh, this would totally be possible. And we started to look into ways. And once we ascertained that, yes, this is possible, we're like, okay, we are definitely doing that. That is definitely part of this project because we couldn't think of, and even the people at, at like Nintendo Age, we can't think of anybody who's done anything like that. And it seems like all the Nintendo, all the retro gamers, they all think it's that they all geek out over. It's like that'd be so cool. We're like, yeah, right, okay. Some people don't get it, but like the the classic gamers, they totally get it. They're like, that'd be so neat. So that's kind of how that came about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that it's gonna be cool to see the you know the eight bit version, and then mm-hmm. are are you just gonna jump to like current day stuff, or is it gonna uh, be a slow transition, or is eh. that still talking about? That's still talking about. And okay. 
Uh, I mean, it really depends on how much funds we raise. What I, what, <laughs> there was a conversation that was had that was really funny. We're like, and it was by one of the people who's not a, a gamer. It was either the novelist or, the, uh, or graphic designer. And, and they said, they said, wow, you should make a version of this game for all of the Nintendo platforms. Nintendo, Super <laughs> Nintendo, Nintendo 64. And we're all like, yeah, we should. That would be awesome. And they were like, eh, let's let's stick to one thing at a time, though. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, we the conversation has gone back and forth between like we could do a three D based game. We know a lot of modelers and animators and illustrators and, um, and and people who could rig and things like that. So you know, we talked about going that direction, and that has pros and cons. Um, it would never look like a AAA title, which is one of the cons. You know, it would always it would never look like a AAA compute like PC game. Yeah. So that's one thing that we've considered. Like people, like modern gamers would hear modern gamer and see that and be like, "Well, this is this sucks." You know, like they wouldn't get it. So it would almost ruin that part of it. But if we did a really intense pixel experience that only a modern console can do, like an NES, you know, you're limited to three colors on a sprite, really. Um, you can cheat and, and have overlays, but then that leads to problems too. But anyway, you're really limited as far as color palette and how much memory the game can hold and stuff like that. But, you know, if you did a modern pixel-based game, you could do all kinds of, uh, um, you know, all kinds of effects that you couldn't do. You could do parallax scrolling. You could you could have almost, I mean, virtually infinite amount of memory and things that have happened in the game. You could have particle effects. You could, you know, have any size sprite graphics that you wanted and, so we talked about doing like a like another pixel art version of the game or something in that world, but just much more advanced, like much more in depth, you know. So that's part of the conversation too. We and then there was a the conversation. Well, let's do both. Let's have one where you can play in classic mode or three D mode, and they're playing. To, and I'm like, oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> but you know, if we if we get a hundred thousand dollars, sure, we could we could hire out a team to do that part of it. But yeah, so you know, it all is going to depend on the budget that comes in, what we can do. Oh, yeah, um, I, I've seen the Kickstarter page, and uh, I mean, the first, I think it was like after two days, you're already halfway there. So yeah. that, that's almost always a good sign. Yeah. Um, well, it's running like every Kickstarter campaign. The first couple of days were awesome. I think we made almost $9,000 in 24 hours, and we were at $24,000 within a week, you know? Or something like that, twenty-two thousand, something like that, within a week. I actually have it written down here somewhere. But um, then it starts to taper off, and now you're seeing, you know, a thousand dollars will come in on a day or whatever. And it's not a matter of interest; it's just a matter of visibility. We have reached the extent of our immediate pool of NES fans and retro gaming fans, you know. And as it reaches more, like when you know, Retro Magazine just did a real short blurb. Um, and all of a sudden, $1,000 came in, you know, like lots of people pledged. So, like, when there's a new sort of pool of people tapped, then, you know, we get, we get more, uh, more bites. But we tapped so much at the beginning that now that's starting to slow down. But even at, even at this pace, even if it didn't pick back up, we're going to, I mean, we're in plenty of good shape to see this funded. Um, and always that last week of a Kickstarter is big as well. Yeah. So you know we're not we're not worried about it. We're just making sure to stay very diligent with uh, trying to get the word you know spread further. Yeah, yeah. That that's what we're here hopefully to help a little bit with that. Yeah, um, man. We definitely appreciate it. Hey, we we appreciate you taking your time out to talk with us as well. 
Um, I, should, I, I should be working on a prototype right now, just to let you know. So <laughs> if people want to see a prototype on the Kickstarter, you're the one that's going to have to answer to them, my friend. Uh-oh. I haven't said my name yet. I'm hiding. <laughs> so, uh, you, oh, man. <laughs> so many questions. Yeah, so many questions. So, so many wrong questions as well. Oh, that's uh, fine. <laughs> a- ask them. Go shoot. Rapid fire. I think fun. everybody wants to know what is the... Uh, the arcade machine behind you. <laughs> ah, my main machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is there's a cool story behind this machine. So um, I've got my I've got actually my gaming room sort of set up in the other room. This is this is actually the living room of my home, and my my house has two living rooms, and my wife got one, and I got the other. That was kind of the deal that we made. So my living room is sort of the awesome media suite, like with my right up there. Usually I would have you up there on my giant TV on the wall. And I've got my workstation right here that your this monitor's on top of. And I've got my, my piano over here and I got my guitars on the wall. And I wanted a stand-up arcade machine. And and part of it was I want my kids to know what that is. That might disappear by the time my kids are old enough to know what it is. You know, I want them to really know and experience playing an arcade game. I thought about getting an actual like, you know, Frogger machine or, you know, Space Invaders machine or something like that. Um, and so I was looking online, and then I thought of this great idea where I was going to get a cabinet and house all my consoles underneath and have, like, a switch box so I could have an old CRT monitor and hook it all up. That was my big plan. I was going to make this, you know, weird Frankensteinian console MAME cabinet machine thing. And uh, so I started looking for cabinets. And the cabinets were, like, 300 bucks. you know. They're, you know, and I have to drive two hours to go pick it up and it's like yeah maybe I should build one and I was having it on and ironically we had just moved into this house when this happened I looked on Craigslist and I'd been looking on Craigslist for a year and I hadn't find anything and we just moved into this house I looked on Craigslist and literally walking distance from my house there was a guy selling a main cabinet and like I literally could have put it on a scooter and you know rolled it to my house and moved it in so it was actually the first thing that was in this house. That that cabinet was the first thing that was in this house. There was no furniture. I think my bed was in here and that cabinet. And uh, it's got, you know, it's just a main machine. It's 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 a PC brain in there, but it's it's got like 7,000 games on there. So uh, from old arcade machines all the way to, you know, Nintendo 64 games on there. Yeah. So whenever, you know, when we have a production meeting or when we have a Christmas party or even at my um, at our rehearsal dinner for our wedding, which we had at the house, uh, my wife and her bridesmaid were playing Mortal Kombat on, <laughs> on the night of our, our um, rehearsal dinner for the wedding. So that, like, I've got a picture of it. They're like, they're all like in these, you know, sleek, sexy dresses, and I'm in this nice, you know, this nice shirt. And I, I took a picture, and I, it was just like, this is this is what these are supposed to look like. This is this is exactly correct. So yeah, so that's the main machine. That's that. I got all kinds of toys in this house. That, that's always how it should be. Yeah. Um, so you, I, I've seen you know the Kickstarter page and, and the game and mm-hmm. kind of exploration. Is there anything you can tell us about how the game, at least how you envisioned the game as a kid? Maybe yes. not the direction it's going now. Right. And that this is a really tough challenge for us right now because... One of the things is it's still in this sort of concept phase where we could roll with the concepts that we have right now, but the whole idea is we want to 
roll. We want to have a one year life cycle. That's sort of part of the novelty of doing it the way that we're doing, which is insane, by the way. If you go to like any of the homebrew sites, they, one of the things that they are criticizing about this campaign is not the idea behind it. They're not like they're really excited for that, but like, but you're not going to make it in a year just to let you know. There's no way. It's about, you know, and, you know, fortunately, um, we've got a lot of support from some of the people that pretty much run the NES dev site. I already have a running start because I've already been building engines and things like that. So um, anyway, but because of that, we don't, we can't paint ourselves into a corner. We don't want to, and I don't want to show the engines that I've built because they're, people don't understand that. Like people don't get what they're looking at is not the fin- like a finished game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so I've got, I've got engines um, on, if you go to thezeldamovie.com from a, from a computer, there's actually a playable game there, a playable, very Zelda-like game on there. So when I set out to do this project, I just rip, you know, I just used the same sprites and, and sort of modified them so I could use them on hardware NES and use those to make, you know, to start building an engine and start, you know, programming controller input and start controlling uh, a coordinate map system and starting to control uh, sound and collision detection and uh, a uh, uh, random number generator and palette uh, cycling for animation effects and all, all those kinds of things like that, that I wanted to make sure that I knew how to do before I said, yes, okay, this is a project I'm going to do. Um, so if I were to show that now, everyone would have a completely warped sense of what this game is going to look like in the end. So while some of the mechanics are similar, I don't want to show it because I, you know, I, I think people wouldn't quite understand that this is not what the game will look like. Or they'll get the game and say, hey, the game was supposed to look like this. And, you know, so I've avoided very, um, very purposefully uh, showing more of the actual game. But um, as far as what the game was envisioned, when I was a kid, it was very, I mean, you know, it, I only had, I was seven years old, I only had so many influences coming, you know, at me, and so a lot of the game was, was very derivative of, of those influences at the time. There, you saw a ton of uh, Legend of Zelda references, a ton of the first Dragon Warrior, the first Final Fantasy game. Like, these were the games that I was sort of tapping to create this epic fantasy world, you know? Well, something weird happened over the next 30 years. That, those... The seeds of those ideas, which got scrapped, ended up evolving, and they evolved into you know a couple short stories I wrote when I was you know nine, and then and then they evolved again, and I I I started to I, I had this program called HyperCard for uh, old Mac Mac Plus, those old little gray Macintoshes, and um, I built a point and click adventure game out of it, but it was you know more advanced from those ideas, and then uh, when I was in my teens, I kind of I expanded upon those ideas and I started to build this novel universe and it was kind of less traditional fantasy and kind of morphed into something else and when I was 19 I kind of revisited that world and put different spins on it and then in my 20s I wrote something I was really proud of for a fiction class that kind of was an evolution of that and then even you know up to last year I actually finished my first novel last year and it's still got seeds in those original ideas if you really know what you're looking for but it's it's totally different at this point. So now I find these old design documents that were kind of the seeds for, for this idea. And I'm like, wow, it's evolved so far. What kind of game are we making? Are we making a game like when I was seven? Or are we taking bits and pieces from this evolution of where it's come to till now, these ideas? 
And so we're, we're really playing with a lot of that from a, like from a narrative perspective. And we've decided to sort of, uh, that's why I brought in a narrative developer to sort of um, put a cushion between me and, and, the, and the sort of story that's being told because she'll have all kinds of fresh ideas and, and I think that's a really neat thing. And I can kind of be the programmer to help see those re- ideas realized. I give her sort of a broad, these broad strokes and then she fills in the details with my with the concept artist and it's a really cool it creates this really cool um, collaborative sort of story so that's kind of how, about the narrative as far as the mechanics of the game I think what you're going to see is um, people are going to like an action adventure like a Legend of Zelda game um, it's going to have intermixed some RPG elements uh, experience system things like that um, but primarily uh, it's going to be sort of a quicker paced it's not going to have like turn based battle systems or anything like that um, it's going to be more of a, a quicker-paced adventure game. I don't know if that answers any of that question at all, that long diatribe of response. That would be even if I remembered the question at this point. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you had said, you know, um, a year production yeah. <laughs> um, from, from the end of the Kickstarter, and then a, an exact year later is the 30th anniversary of the NES coming out in the States. That is correct. And I, I, that is... Amazing planning on your part. I'm I'm so glad that uh, that somebody is thinking of doing a, a cool project. Can I tell you a secret? Go for it. Totally a coincidence. Oh, cool. It started. Well, yeah. Now we uh we <laughs> we decided that we were going to start the Kickstarter in mid September, run through October. Um, that gave us enough time to do what we wanted to do, prepare for the Kickstarter, and we did not want to run into the holidays. Once we get to the holidays, forget it. We're not going to try and do a Kickstarter over the holidays. No, no, no one's paying attention. Right. No, no one's paying attention. There's just so, so many other things to worry about. And so um, so we said, okay, like September would be a great time. People are going back to school. Everyone's talking about new things. And okay, that'd be fun. That'd be a good time to do it. And then the realization struck me. I said, hmm, the 30th anniversary of the NES is coming out. I wonder when that, we're going to run September 15th to October 15th. And sure enough, October 18th is the 30th as the 30th anniversary, so I said, okay, let's just run the campaign till the 17th, and then give ourselves a one-year production <laughs> timeline. And that, and, and it'll run, so the, it'll run from the 17th to the 17th. We hold the game in our hand on the 18th and put it in the NES for the first time, and there you go, there's our game, you know. Um, and that's kind of, it is really ambitious uh, to a ridiculous degree to make an S game in that time, let alone make two games that talk to each other and all that, all that, and a documentary about it and a set of tutorials about them and all that stuff. Um, and fortunately, we have a lot of people who are investing a lot of their energy and time in the project for peanuts, you know, for because they're really passionate. It's nobody, nobody on the team is is this their um, primary source of income? This is a this is a passion project for everybody who's involved. So um, that also allows us to involve other people who are passionate about the project too. We're not really limited to a team and you know we pay people as we go what we can where we need to but everyone is pretty much like dude whatever needs to get done let's get this done it's gonna be awesome. Um, so uh, the money is going into I mean just to cover the the production costs of the of the deliverables alone is going to be pretty expensive. You can't get a run of less than a thousand you know DVDs or Blu-rays you can't get you have to hand make the the cartridges, you know. So it, it's like if we have three hundred people who end up wanting NES games, we have to hand make three hundred cartridges for them, you know. Um, so we might have to hire people to be in our you know sweatshop for a couple of weeks to put games together. But 
Um, but yeah, so that's the plan, a, a year development cycle, so that it aligns with the 30th anniversary of the NES. We just thought that was that was novel. We thought that was cool. So it's still alive after 30 years. And there's something with the the, the Konami code too, you know, giving you 30 extra lives. And there was something talk about a shirt that was like that or something. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So speaking of the NES cartridge itself. Yep. Um. How are you going to release the game to people? Is is there going to be a version for you know? maybe a 15-year-old who doesn't have an NES because his parents weren't gamers. Right. Is he going to be able to play both versions of the game or is he going to have to go grab an NES for this? My hope, and I'm saying this with the big asterisks of, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed that this all works out the way that we want, but I have a feeling that on the cartridge we're also going to have a ROM of the game. So... It essentially, it can function also as an external hard drive if you want to play it through an emulator. It's not as much fun. We're going to encourage people to actually get an NES and play it on the TV and, you know, whatever. Um, but we're hoping to make it so that the the ROM can talk to the same data structure as the actual physical cartridge could. Um, and if not, they, they will definitely at least be able to play the modern game. So I, let's hope that that all works out. I mean, I'm sure once the game's released, people are going to spread the wrong. I'm like, wow, far. there's nothing you can do about that right now. Like, you know, it's, it's, there's that level of sort of piracy spreading around. And we're just hoping that people are cool and support the actual project and want the physical cartridge. We're not in it to make a million dollars. You know, we just want to cover our costs. So um, that's why Kickstarter is a great, great way to do it because then it covers our costs. We make the game. The game's out in the world. At that point, if people want it and spread it, it's no big loss to us. We don't count on this as income. So just a you know, that's 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 another reason that we like Kickstarter for this project. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great, you know. You yeah. get all your costs done ahead of time, and then anything you have, you make in the end, you can reinvest into next game the next or project. The, or, Super Nintendo, the Super Nintendo version, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you can just keep building on it and make it a, you know, five or ten year game cycle, which is yeah. not unusual in the right. industry. But you guys are doing, you can make it more episodic almost. So right, right. That, that would kind of be cool to see the evolution of that over. Well, and you know, you know, it's, not you know, it's weird too, and this is kind of a, a weird thought. You mentioned episodic. Um, NES games are shorter by default because, I mean, they can only hold so much memory. I mean, we're looking at the, the MMC1 mapper, and the MMC1 mapper, uh, which is the memory control, uh, the basically the memory controller, um, so you can. You can only load 32 kilobytes of data, kilobytes of data at one time into the NES, and you can only hold with the MMC1 200 at max 256 kilobytes of data. So that's it. That's all you get for one game. And so you know, I mean, that's like a large you know text file. You know, that's <laughs> that it's ridiculous how little data that is. Um, so making something that would be episodical would be really neat. Um, a game that doesn't necessarily end is like a trilogy and it's actually three cartridges long and that way the gameplay sort of extends out. I mean, that would be a cool thing. You know, I'm, I'm not even saying that we're talking about doing that, but just homebrewers in general, that's something that would be cool about the NES. Even though you can only fit so much, there's nothing stopping you from making multiple projects. Um, and then with like bootloader software that people are having now, you could, you know, have a flash memory card on a game pack 
that plugs into the NES, and you could have a bootloader that loads different games. Um, what is it? Uh, Retro USB, I think that's the name of the site. Retro USB has one of those that you can buy, and it's it's just an NES cartridge that takes a SD card, and you load up your games on there. It's got a bootloader, and you just play what you know, pick the game you want, play it actually through actual hardware. So, oh, there's so many cool things. Oh yeah, there, there's tons of a billion directions you guys can go, and you obviously need to pick, you know, your dozen absolute yeah. wish list, and then probably refine it down to. Less than that as you go, and we're sorting that out through the Kickstarter, and we're we're kind of gauging what people are interested in seeing, and you know I'm actually surprised more people are interested in seeing a pixel adventure for the PC than are seeing a 3D game for the PC. I don't know if that's just because we are categorically attracting NES fans, so they like the 8-bit aesthetic, or if there's just more of a desire to see that kind of game. I'm not sure, but. Whatever the case, the fans that have supported it so far have been more interested in seeing a pixel adventure. So well, it would be it, it's going to be different. I I think there's only been one big pixel adventure game in uh, what was it? 3D Dot Heroes, I believe, for the PS3. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything else in the last decade that really took that, you know, just just going with pixels and yep. purposely going with pixels. And, and, and just having a grand adventure with it. You know, yeah, we've seen Flash games. There's maybe a couple things on mobile devices, but nothing really that had that throwback feel sure. to it. The only the only project I could think of was from the Yacht Club guys recently with Shovel Knight. They did awesome. They rocked yeah. it, you know, and people really dug it. They thought it was a great game. So um, very cool guys, by the way. They have been super supportive of this project, so I cannot say enough cool things about Yacht Club games. Um Shovel Knight, get it, buy it. It's awesome. Um, and and they were hugely inspired by Zelda Two, which started this whole ridiculous adventure. So <laughs> just br- just bringing full circle of relevance back to the earlier story. Absolutely, that that's that's what life is. is just <laughs> there you go. Big circle of everything. Yeah, man. The smallest little details from childhood affect who we are as adults. It's oh, the definitely. coolest thing to realize. Oh man, I used to love this as a kid, and then just see how it domino effects to where we are now. Once you stop and actually think about it, it's sure. definitely cool. And glad somebody's kind of doing a a thing of based on what they wanted as a kid. That's just awesome. And that's yeah, and that's another. I mean, that's another slant to the project too. And some people, that's the part they're really interested in is just seeing. You know, it's sort of inspiring to them because, oh, I always wanted to do that too. You know, like, ah, that's really cool that somebody's actually doing that. I always, I, everyone I know, like so many people, they used to sketch out their own games as kids. Yeah. And they've lost them and they forgot what they were about and everything like that. And they're like, it's so cool. So I'm hoping that some people still have held on to that stuff and, you know, end up downloading or getting the resources that we, that we make available on how we made our game. And then, there's like a little renaissance. That's what we're hoping. We want. I want to play more NES games. I think that'd be great. I'd love to have a reason to actually have my NES hooked up in my living room, like to you know play new NES games and be excited about new and actual hardware playable NES games. And we're hoping that this kind of prompts other people to. I'm gonna make my game. Woohoo! And you know. Yeah. It, one of the rewards on your page was you know they can give you the designs on it and you're gonna make it. That's a high end reward. We we do. Yeah, have, that's a very high end reward. But I because mean, obviously, up. yeah, <laughs> yep, Because obviously, it would it would take a lot of effort to put that game together. Um, but 
Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to work on another NES game directly following, um, based on what we've learned through this process. And there are, but there have been a couple people who have been interested. Um, so obviously, it's a huge investment. Um, but you know, they're interested for you know some. There's one guy who has a um, a company that does a lot of merchandise that's that's eight bit inspired, and eight bit themed, and retro gaming themed, and he thought I, you know, he thought that he spends a lot of money on advertising per year, a lot more than that. So this would be a great advertisement that people people would actually seek it out instead of it just like yeah. flashing up on their screen on a Facebook and they just ignore it. They'd actually want to find this, and so you know, so there are people that are interested in that. Um, but aside from that, uh, as rewards too, there's there's a set of tutorials on how to make you know how to program for the NES and stuff like that, and there's even uh, basically, our entire development kit for people who pledge two hundred fifty dollars, we are going to get a, a version of all the tools that we use, from the hardware that we use to flash to the games, to a blank cartridge that they can start messing around with, to our tools used to make name tables and design levels, and and to make our collision tables, and a set of tutorials on how to use those tools to actually, at the end, there you go, you got your game. So even for less of a buy-in, if somebody wants to put in the effort and learn it on their own, um, we can make that happen too. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it was cool. You know, normally Kickstarter rewards you go through and you see, you know, the T-shirt, copy of the game, meet the developer. You know, those sort of things that yes, they are cool, but some of the crap you put in is just not crap. It's freaking awesome. Um, and it was cool reading through that list, just going, oh, man, I'd have never thought to put this in here. And, you know, it was well, awesome. I love that we hooked up. Like, it's funny. We have uh, the, the custom NES guy uh, going to design custom NES consoles, you know, um, on order. So if, if anyone pledges that reward tier, they're going to get a custom refurbed NES that's, you know, themed for the game. And it's funny because everyone on the team were the first people like, dude, I got it. I want it. I can't give me that. That'd be awesome. And so, you know, that's, that's fun. I thought that was one of the more – everyone asked when we were about to launch, I don't have an NES. Are you guys going to offer an NES? And I'm like, yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are going to offer an NES. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of the more interesting Kickstarters you know, to me. You know, there's so many out there that are just like, yeah, I want to make a game, so give me money. Yours is you want to help build the community as well as make a game. And well, and you know, awesome and thanks. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why we decided we had a big conversation um, the Saturday before we launched the Kickstarter. Uh, everyone who was involved, we got together for the first time and like all either via Skype or at my house here. And we talked about what is the main deliverable here? Is the main deliverable the game or the documentary? And we decided that the main deliverable by a small margin, but the main deliverable is the documentary, not the game. Um, our purpose here is to show the homebrew community and to show the process of what went into these NES games and to show that it's still a viable art and it's still got its beauty and it's still, you know, just because it's more simplistic working within those limitations and those constraints is a beautiful science, is a beautiful art. And so we decided, yeah, the documentary is the main deliverable, not the game. And uh, I don't know, I, and I think that that's something that a couple of people have noticed in the same regard, like, that's really cool that, the, you know, you're focusing more on the documentary than the game. 
Um, it's not just to help us make our game. It's we want to show this community. We want to show people and expose them to the fact that this is happening. Yeah, and if you make the documentary the focus, you still have to have a good game for the documentary to be exactly. worthwhile in the end. Because, I mean, if you guys, you know, create the next DT, nobody's going to really want to watch the documentary. It, the, the engine I have is already better than E.T., so I feel good about that. <laughs> the skeleton, yeah, exactly. The skeleton engine that I have of my character walking around the screen and running into things is better than E.T. was. So I can at least I can at least rest on that, you know, satisfaction. Um, yeah, and and you know, we basically that's kind of what we did. Hey, we're going to make this documentary. We could release the game. Hey, we're going to make this game. Why don't we show people how we did it? And let them make their own games if they want, you know. And that's that's what's awesome about the, the development community. I thought for sure when I started thinking about this like six months ago, I thought for sure the development community was going to be a bunch of jackasses. I thought they were going to be really pretentious, guarded, and and you know just just really uptight and and not welcoming. Oh my god, complete opposite. I like I'll post on the NES Dev forum like, hey, you know, I was trying this and I didn't. Uh, how does this work? Because I'm not getting it. Within minutes, I'll have a response from some of the moderators, and they're so cool. Like they they they'll go way out of their way to help, um, and I thought that was really inspiring. So uh, I like that. I, I really want to support them because they. I have not had one trollish comment on a Nest Dev forum, and that is just incredible. That's it's incredible. That's insane. I know. I mean, that's. I've talked to a bunch of people who created, you know actual games during the NES era and a lot of them said you know outside of maybe the coders but but you know the graphic design people the story writers the sound people all that have all said how collaborative the community was back then compared to now it's like you're not allowed to be friends with somebody who works at another company and right, so it's right. cool to see that that camaraderie from the NES era still shows up with the NES devs. And, you know, if we, if we end up hearing that a lot from, from some of the creatives that did work back then when we're doing the documentary, I think that'll be a really interesting thing to include. Um, you know, I think that, like, the, the harshest comment that I got, that I've gotten so far in Nintendo Age, was somebody who backed the project and said, I'm really excited for this project. I'm just really worried about you with this year deadline. Have you thought about extending the deadline? And that's, like, the harshest criticism. You know, like that's like that's like, woo! This guy's really pissed off. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's very, very supportive. Um, we're really interested to see what some of those those guys who worked in it uh, during the heyday have to say. Like, um, you know, part of the part of the documentary is going to see our artists going out to San Francisco and meeting up with Mark Erickson, who you know worked on a bunch of box art and labels and and NES promo posters and stuff, and just to see how art for games has evolved. You know, um, not just in a, in a technological way, but just in, in a manner of approach. You know, because when you were designing art concepts for an NES game, if someone gave you a concept, you knew eventually it was going to turn into 16 by 16 pixels. So, you know, you had to, you had to really consider that. Now, you're given a concept, you make a piece of concept art, they're going to build it exactly like you make it. They're going to ask you to put it in bind pose, and they're going to... They're going to model it to that spec, you know? And so it's really interesting seeing the different approach. I don't know. I think it's fascinating. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love seeing the evolution of 
gaming type stuff where, where they have people who actually did just back then, just now, and people who have gone the whole gamut. Um, right. And, and just seeing the different opinions on how gaming is, it's, it's just so cool. And yeah. I'm glad to see somebody's going back and, you know, make, it almost feels like you're making this game in that era. You just have that's to be doing it with a crap ton of cooler toys. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly the goal, and that's that's one of the things that came up too. So here's one of the conundrums. I'm going to give you like an idea of some of the things that we're facing. So we want this to be an authentic 1987 experience because that's, but the NES still had like six years of life after 1987, and yeah. people found all kinds of ways to sort of hack the NES to do things and built different mappers and things like that that were capable of more. So we have to make that decision. Do we be purists and use uh, the MMC1 mapper, which was the prominent mapper from 1987 in games like Metroid and The Legend of Zelda and things like Game Kid Icarus and games like that were MMC1? Or do we cheat and use the MMC3, which was the most popular NES mapper, which was like Super Mario Brothers 3 in a lot of later games? And the difference is being with the MMC1, you only have 256 kilobits of data, program data that you can do, and only 128 kilobits of graphical data that you can use. Whereas in the MMC3, you have double that. So it's like, ah, we want to make the coolest game we can, so obviously we want to go for the most. Or, wait, are we trying to stay to the, the constraints that we're saying? So there's this really interesting discussion about that, too, you know, and, and what would be the benefits and, you know, how, I don't know. It's, it's a crazy conversation. What would, your be, what would your opinion on that be? Mine would be, oh, man. Because it comes down to, if we're trying to make the greatest ex gaming experience that we possibly can for the player, we wouldn't be making an NES game anyway. Well, yeah. You know, so, I don't if, know. if you're going to go to the throwback, you know, do you, like you said, be a purist and go with, you know, the 1985 dev tools that, you know, Nintendo used, or... You know, the, the stuff closer to when the Super Nintendo came out, you know, stuff there. What is really what we as gamers remember? You know, do we remember the first Mario better than the third Mario? Do we remember the first right. Final Fantasy? I guess right. technically we didn't see the next one to the Super, but, you know. What was, well, you know, something else that was interesting, too. I, I had a long conversation with um, Brian from v Blank Games who did uh, Retro City Rampage. And we had a really good chat about two weeks ago. One thing that he said was, I mean, Retro City Rampage on the NES is a pretty advanced game for the NES. I mean, it's, I don't know if you played it or checked it out at all, but for the NES limitations, it's intense. But he got all kinds of flack because they wished his game was more like this other pixel game that's for a computer, which way, like, even exceeds the Super Nintendo capabilities, but because it's made in pixels, it must be a retro game. It must be, you know... Like a lot of a lot of player, there's a very small, it's a very limited demographic that really understands the difference between a game that's made with pixels and an NES 8-bit game for real. You know, so it's it's crazy. I don't know. We we're we're going around in circles with that with that exact conversation right now, and we got to figure we got to figure it out in like two weeks. So that's a hard uh, choice <laughs> to make because if you go pure, you know. NES, original NES, you're limiting yourself quite a lot. 
And if you start to say, okay, we're going to go pure, but then not on this, but you're she no on the egg. pure. And there so it's, it's, it's very, you know, can we water that pure down just a little? Yep. You completely understand. having the landslide come. You completely understand this conver- this 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 conversation that we're having, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. how do how do we say oh, we could cheat on that a little bit? You know, um, I don't know. It's crazy. It's a it's a very very funny conversation to have. Oh, I can um, imagine <laughs> everybody yeah. wanting, you know, because the purists, that's it. Yeah. And and anybody who's not a purist is against that. I, I mean, it's just well, I can see that that argument. <laughs> And I look at games like Metroid and The Legend of Zelda and things like that, and I say to myself, you know what, if we make a game that it's probably not going to be as, as advanced as those games, because those games are freaking awesome if you go back and play them still to this oh, day. And, and I, you know, the, there's only a couple of programmers on this, and we are not as versed in assembly language as the programmers were in Japan in the heyday of the NES, but fortunately for us, we have a lot more resources at our disposal that they didn't have. So it's kind of like this balancing act. If we can create something as as sort of like as sort of I don't know and and, and engrossing as that is uh, as compelling as, as one of those games, I'd be happy. You know, I'd be happy if it was in that style, it, even though it didn't have the breadth or the the length of play or the graphical capabilities of later NES era games. If I made something that was as deep as like a Metroid or Legends, I'm fine with that, dude. Like that would be awesome for me. You know. That would be everything that this game should be. Yeah. So, well, that's kind of where I'm sitting on the on the conversation, but I'm hearing my artists out on on it. You know, they want to make more cool art that we won't be able to fit in that. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's the problem. They want a bigger playground. Yep, they want a bigger playground. I keep trying to tell them, well, that's what the the companion game is for. We can do whatever we want with it. You want to make a yeah. million levels? We'll have enough. You know, we'll have enough memory. We can make that happen. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Gosh dang it, I really need to write these questions as I think of them. <laughs> I mean, I think of them and you're talking and I'm trying to listen and then it's like, ah, well, you stop talking, I can ask. Oh crap, I just forgot it. That's the problem, I talk too much. That's okay. Uh, we all <laughs> I'd rather you talk than me because you know more about the project than I do. <laughs> this is true. I hope so anyway. Um, how many, how, how big is your team? Or the, the core, official team. Yeah, the core team is nine people. The core team is made up of myself, who will be handling the programming. This is this is you'd call this the core team for the game. Okay. Um, myself, who's doing the programming, uh, the lead programming, the hardware developer uh, is actually pretty versed in assembly too. So he'll be helping with some of the programming and doing some of the hardware stuff. Then we've got a illustrator. Um, we've got an animator. We've got a. Uh, uh, graphic designer, we've got a narrative developer, we've got a film score composer, we've got a marketing rep, uh, we've got a pixel artist, I think that's everybody. Um, so it's really like one person to focus on all parts of the of the project. And then as far as the documentary team, uh, documentary team goes, um, the illustrator and I are actually both filmmakers as well. And we've actually worked on film projects before. We've worked on game projects before. This was just like, we have to do this project together. It'll be awesome. And so, you know, he, he's going to help a lot with that. And that's the core team. As far as the extended team, there's like 80 people. Like, it's like everybody and their mother wants to help contribute in some way to the project. And we're like, awesome. Yes. Cool. 
if we don't like it, we won't use it. Is that okay with you? Yep. Okay, cool. Let's do it. You can help. So we've got all kinds of musicians that want to help, you know, contribute to the soundtrack. We've got um, artists who want to submit monster ideas. And, you know, we've got people who, like, work in the industry. Um, we've got a buddy at Blizzard who, like, he obviously doesn't have a lot of time to commit to the project, but he wants to be a part. So it's like, hey, dude, do a monster sketch for us, you know, give us a concept. And we'll, if we dig it, we'll fit into the game. So we got a lot of people like that, too, that might be doing, like, helping us for a weekend or whatever. And uh, the same thing with the, the documentary team. So it's a pretty big team. There's just sort of eight, besides me, there's eight core members besides me. I'm just imagining a certain artist at Blizzard drawing things for this game, and my mind was just blown. So <laughs> not going to mention any names because I don't want to be wrong. But no, oh you, my God. You, no, you'd be wrong. It, it's not somebody that you'd probably know, but it's, okay. somebody, okay. it's somebody I know that, that, that works there. So okay. um, just somebody I've met through my travels. And I, we've met a lot of cool people, a lot of cool design studios that are, that are you know, named design studios. And if they can, they want to help. And some of them, the companies are totally cool with them putting their names on it and saying where they're from, and some of them are not. <laughs> um, we've, uh, we've also got a couple people involved in the film part that have pretty big names attached to them that at this point we cannot divulge. So that kind of sucks because it would help, you know, but that's okay. The Kickstarter's going good. I'm not worried about it. Um, but their involvement is going to help it definitely get some legitimacy and visibility. So the documentary, has it actually started? Is the Kickstarter time going to be part of it? Have you done stuff before? Is nothing going to start until there's there's there, There's footage that possibly could be used, but I'm thinking the close of the Kickstarter campaign, which is midnight on the 17th, is when we turn on the camera. Okay. I, like, I just think that there's, there's a novelty to that, you know, and start, and start the ticking clock. Yes. And and then we could always show some of the other stuff in flashback. Um, but, uh, you know, there's some really cool stuff that's happening right away. Uh, it looks like Retro Game Con wants me to panel in Syracuse, and that's pretty close to my hometown. Um, and that's right pretty much, that's like two weeks after the Kickstarter. So me going on a pilgrimage home uh, to where I found all these and designed these games, and some of the places are inevitably going to be inspired by local locations and stuff. That will be cool. That'll be a cool trip to film. Um, and Elizabeth, our the fantasy novelist, will be going back to England um, just after the Kickstarter ends um, for a family uh, thing. And she's going to actually take some time and sort of get re-inspired while she's in the like in Europe. And what a great place to go to be inspired to create a fantasy narrative. So we've got a film team that's actually in the UK that's going to that's going to sort of follow her around and see her process and, and find where she grew up and stuff like that. So right like right as we launch, there's some pretty cool filming opportunities that are coming up. Um, but I, we have rolled a couple of things, but I think that, that honestly the documentary starts at, the, at midnight, you know, on the, on the 17th or 18th or whatever. Like a 10-second countdown. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I can see. Yeah. That, that sounds pretty cool. Um, do you have a, a, a hope of how long the documentary itself is going to be, you know, it'll be, it'll be a 10 line. minutes, 10 oh. hours, you know, uh, a 90 minute documentary. Okay. We've, we've already got a pretty interesting, like essentially you can, we are making an adventure game. We are all, I mean, me, three of the people on this documentary team are novelists. We understand story structure. We understand epic scale story structure um, and the hero's journey. And we've all studied, studied Joseph Campbell and, 
you know, all this stuff. And so we want the documentary to be interesting in that way, um, even for somebody who's not necessarily into retro gaming and things like that. Obviously, people who are into that will be more interested in what we're doing, but we want it to, to be a compelling narrative, not just a talking heads documentary. So there's a pretty compelling hero's journey arc that we're, that we're sort of outlining. And, you know, you can almost imagine it if I am the young hero in this fantasy story and these are all sort of my party of characters that are helping to see this world saved from oblivion, that's the general premise of the story. I mean, that's, that is the premise of the documentary. We are trying to save a world that otherwise, if we do not finish, will be cast into oblivion. And so there's like this, this fantasy metaphor that's happening and we each sort of have our own thing to overcome. Our fantasy novelist has to deal with the fact that we might not even use dialogue in the game. She might have to be able to convey her epic tale that she's going to want to tell using only visual using only visual. Wow. Yeah, so you know she's going to have to go back and look at games and do like, but games do it. Look at Journey. Journey was beautiful. You know, Journey Journey was a gorgeous game, and there's not a single word in it. There's no voice acting. There's no dialogue. So. You know, a game like Limbo, the same thing. I and mean, these are beautiful games. And so she's going to be looking at that on how to do that. Our, our score composer, same thing. He's going to build this beautiful, epic, lush score. You know, we're going to video games live with him, and we're going to study all these games being orchestrated. And then we got to work the other way. We, he's got to figure out how to sort of create that same, that, same, that same vibe with, you know, two square waves, a triangle wave, and a noise channel. That's all you get, you know? Um, so we all have these arcs, and through those arcs, we're going to meet people in the community. So um, our artists are going to meet Mark Erickson, who has done this before, and he becomes their Obi-Wan. You know, he becomes the wise old sage who understands. I mean, there's an obvious question. What comes first, the concept art or the pixel art when you're designing for an NES game? I honestly don't know. I don't know what came first back then. I don't know if they made little tiny creatures and then said, oh, yeah, it's kind of this octopus looking thing that's red and you know make something like that I don't I don't know I don't know or if it worked the other way around and uh, so it'll be interesting to hear those stories and, and our artists will sort of be finding that that out we'll be finding it out along with them and I don't know it's stuff like that like so the, the documentary becomes pretty easy to, to extend to at least 90 minutes and still be interesting you know it's not just be it's not just somebody sitting around going in my day video games were like this you know it's there's actually a narrative to it yeah. Um, are, are you going to have obviously you're going to shoot more than 90 minutes because yeah. you have to because things get screwed up are you going to show some of that um, obvious cut footage or things you know you know six months down the road yeah we're not going to use this are you going to throw some of that stuff up on uh, like your Facebook page or something like that you don't know that uh, <laughs> yeah that's, that's possible we also there also might be I mean again this is all things that we have planned that we can't I don't feel comfortable promising so I don't usually feel comfortable announcing or saying them yeah. but there might be things like if you beat both games it unlocks bonus footage from the film that's also stored on that flash drive that you can then watch in something that will pop up and see bonus footage you know so there's like there's ideas like that that we've that have floated around too but until we're much farther in the process, I don't feel comfortable like saying, "Oh yeah, and we're gonna do that." You know, like it's just we can do that. I'm positive. Will we have enough memory on the thumb drives to do that? You know, and make the game that we want to make. And there's all kinds of issues with that too. 
And I know that there's hackers that are going to be able to hack into the game and unlock things without playing the NES game, and they're going to think they're so smooth. And I'm like, cool, go for <laughs> it, man. If you're that into playing the game and you have it unlocking that stuff, dude, we won. You go yeah. do what you want to do. You know, that's enjoy fine. the game how you want. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So that, consider it your game genie. I don't know. You know. <laughs> oh um, man, I miss those days. Right. <laughs> My favorite was speaking of Zelda too. Game yeah. Genie, there was a, a code that made you invulnerable. Okay. And, yeah, that would have helped. Yeah, I was, I don't know, I was probably like eight or nine. Nah, I probably was younger because it was my dad playing. And by, <laughs> by the time I was six, I was probably stealing the controller from him. But yeah. uh, I gave him the game, game Genie code wrong. It switched the last letter from an E to an A, mm -hmm. and it took you from being completely invulnerable to getting killed in one hit. He's going <laughs> through um, the, the section where um, the guys are up on what looks like a fence and just throwing oh, spears yeah, throw down the rocks at you. At you. Yeah, throw the and rocks that's the only reason so he needed the in invulnerability code and I gave him the one hit he killed code. <laughs> he was just so furious going oh, yeah, it's, over it's and the over. It's the part right after that, the road to the Great Palace. That is the worst thing ever. It is the most obnoxious section of any game that has ever existed ever in the face of the earth. It is so hard. And so, like, you've gotten through this whole game, and it hasn't been all that hard. It's been challenging, but like, you, you can manage, you can get through. But this part, oh, forget about it. Like, it, that's the part that killed us. We kept throwing the controllers across the room, and we were, you know, 28 years old. We weren't kids anymore. Yeah. It's just oh that game sorry yeah yeah man <laughs> everything comes back to Zelda too <laughs> yep 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 um so you, you, what are your hopes for the game for me as the player is it gonna be do, do you want me to beat the game do you want me to just enjoy the game at my own pace do you want me to beat it in a sitting what are your hopes for me I as wanted the to player. Yeah, I, I, I want you to be able to explore a new 8-bit world. I do not, I want to create an experience that um, prompts your desire to, ex, you know, to explore this world the same way that I think the 8-bit Zelda did for me and my friends when I was a kid. Um, it was, yeah, you wanted to beat it and find the next game. It was just fun to find stuff. It was just fun to adventure around the world and try you know, bombing every wall and burning every bush and just see <laughs> where the secrets were and things like that. And I want to I want to sort of create that experience a so little bit where... you took all your rupees and then you were really mad at it. Right, right. And, you know, like, I want it to be sort of have that open world feel where, you know, there, there there's a couple concepts that we're toying with that we've liked but haven't figured out exactly how to implement um, in within the constraints. But um, where you have something that you should go do. There's, there's a cue that's telling you, okay, go do this thing, but you might decide, I want to be stronger before I go do that thing. So I'm going to explore the world a little bit and find these other things that, you know, and I don't want to give too many details yet, but, you know, we want to encourage that sort of sense of exploration. So, yeah, probably once somebody knows where everything is and how everything plays, they could probably beat it in a city. They could probably just, like, I've seen speed runs of Zelda in like 38 minutes, you know, the whole game. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. But most people will take a couple days and play through and, you know, a little bit at a time. And that's kind of the, the game that we're trying to make.
Uh, I, I, okay, that, that's good. I, I mean, I was worried that it was going to be one of those games that, you know, you put it in the first time and you just go smash the face out of the game and you're done with it. So sounds like there's going to be more to it than just point A to point B. There have been, good. yeah, and there have been a couple... There have been a couple ideas to at least make it a game that you want to replay a couple of times. Um, there are some very subtle uh, real-time strategy elements that we sort of wanted to, to squeeze in that would make the game very different every time you play it, um, at least for the first couple times that you play through it. And it would give you curiosity to try playing the game, the game a different way. We really love, like, everybody on the team thinks that these are brilliant ideas, and then it comes down to what we have to sacrifice in order to make those things work. And that's, that's our main sort of conundrum, you know, like, what, what do we have to lose, you know, and that's what, that's what sucks about designing for the NES. Everyone had amazing ideas of what they wanted to do back in the day, but they're limited, so we have to work within the constraints. Can we do them? So... Again, I don't want to talk too much about them because they might end up by the wayside. But eventually, we'll, we'll release all of our living design documents and everyone will know all the ideas that we have for the project. So, And then some of them can make it to the multi-platform yeah, version. Right. And then somebody else will make you know some fan game which destroys our version. You know. <laughs> but if there's that much interest in it, that's exactly. the point of the documentary. So you're, you're happy... You're probably even happier if somebody goes and makes your game look like rubbish by making I, it better. Yeah, I would, I would thoroughly enjoy that. You're hearing me say it now. I would never begrudge someone taking a game and making a fan game and making something that makes ours look like a piece of crap. I would think that that was awesome, and I'd probably be the first one to buy a copy. Yeah, so They'd pro hopefully send you a copy. I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and talking talk about that, I don't know if you, do you, have you ever seen anything about Zelda Outlands? Uh, no, I have not. It's a it's a it's a ROM hack um, of Zelda, the the original Legend of Zelda, and uh, I actually met the guy um, when we were doing the Zelda documentary up in Atlanta. Really cool guy, really nice guy, um, and he put a, you know a lot of time in. It. And it is a real for a ROM hack, it is incredible. And he did it because it was fun. It was like nerd projects. He'd come home on weeknight and you know dabble with it. And every day for a couple of years and made this really cool. Everything's in different places. It's a whole new storyline. There's new music. There's new monsters. And, you know, it's, it's a really cool project. And uh, I, apparently, a couple of years after he made the game, someone tracked him down and sent him a copy of his game on a gold cartridge. And he had just made a ROM. Like, he didn't, you know, he never made a game that meant to be playable on hardware. He was just having fun with it. And he found out that there was a site selling his game for 50 bucks a pop. <laughs> Flashing it to a cartridge and selling it like as a like rare, unreleased NES game and stuff like that. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. He's like, I've never seen a dime from it. I think it's hilarious. But, uh, you know, I just did it for fun. So yeah. Sometimes yeah. those are the best projects, though. Yeah, yeah. Those passion projects, you know, they, you have some, you're, you're vested into them, you know. Because when you do a nine-to-five thing, five days a week, you get bored, you get lazy, whereas with you guys, it's you're going to have time to do it while it's still fun. Yeah, there's going to be down moments of it. That's just how life is. But it's not going to be, you know, three-fourths of the project where you're angry at it. It's going to be three days over the course of a year. So uh, you guys definitely have the advantage in your 
you're always going to want to make it the best game possible and never going to have that day of, I wish it right. was done. And there's not too many cooks in the kitchen, you know. It's yeah. there's not there's not like twenty artists building sprites. Right, right, right. Exactly. It's like every person sort of ha is their department, and so the artists have a vested interest in the art as a whole. Like, there's not, like, my character was awesome in that game, you know? So there's this, um, I don't know, there's definitely, like, this sort of unification where the cogs just fit together just right, you know? And I think that's really cool, too. It's not, it's not this giant assembly line-type project. Everyone's part is integral. If one person does not hold up their end, the entire project starts to crumble. So that's, that's both creates great dramatic tension for the documentary, and uh, you know helps keep everyone accountable. It's cool. Yes, definitely. I I love following smaller projects because you get shit done. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, well, Blizzard just canceled Titan. I mean, right. just. Yep. I can't even remember how many years ago I knew about that, and it's done, just gone, bye. Yeah. Whereas, you know, their smaller project, Hearthstone, got off the ground in. I think they only spent like eight months working on it before the first version started yep. coming out for people to toy with. So uh, I, I like smaller projects Yep. Um, in general. Yep, me too, yep. definitely. <laughs> Big ones Films. make bigger money, but you know that that's not what it's always about. It's not the adventure. Yeah. We won't see a dime on this project, and we don't mind. We I, I'd love to shop this to festivals because I think there's there's audiences that would be really interested in uh, you know a documentary about the homebrew scene, but Honestly, we we want this story to get out there, and then whatever happens with it is awesome. You know, anything that happens with it is awesome. We we're not even thinking really business model for this, which is really irresponsible for us. I'm a filmmaker for a living. I understand that this is not the way you approach this sort of project, but for this project, it seems the right way to approach the project. So we're just going with it. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, as long as I see a game in a year and two weeks, uh, three weeks, yep. I'll be good. <laughs> yeah, a year and three weeks. Come on now, don't don't cut cut us short. We're going to be working to the deadline. I guarantee it. <laughs> Especially like with five minutes, go switch that pixel from red to blue. All right. Well, we got to make sure that it works on like a pale system. We got to make sure that you know we got to try on the oh. clone systems. We got there's all kinds of stuff to, to to get working. So they didn't have to worry about as much back then. Oh, man. Right. More problems. Yeah. Thank you, technology. Yeah. Well, and hey, half of our audience is is from the UK. So far, half the like I, I'd say almost half the backers are from out of the state, out of the states. So we got to make sure that it works on all those systems: Japanese systems, PAL systems, and the U.S. Uh, NES systems. Yeah. Woo! That's that, that's gonna be fun. Yeah. So that's just one. That's that's my hardware guy's job. That's you know he's the he's the guy who's got to figure out why you know if I've got to program something differently fine but he's got to be the one to find that information out and test it and if it's not working figure out why so, so. W one of the things that I was joking with uh, Rob McCallum about after the interview was uh, collector's edition with a cloth map and a gold cart you know all that stuff that we just remember being cool mm -hmm. um, are, are those things you guys have you don't have to tell me the end of the discussion, but are they things you have discussed? Yes. The, the, the quote-unquote $200 Ultimate Collector's Package is going to come with a little strategy guide and maps and all that cool stuff, yeah. Okay. Yep. So, uh, which is just, it's almost exactly what you just described, 
we're hoping that people who don't have the strategy guide can play through our game because there's not a strategy guide like there was back then. Like, you know, we're not going to be in any Nintendo Power magazine, you know. So, <laughs> the magazine um, spread of every level. God, I right. those. Right, exactly. So, there's not that opportunity. So, we want to make the game pretty intuitive. Um, but that that for the people that like loved that like i still have my dragon warrior for my maps and all that stuff i like i just love to have it you know and and so for the people who love that part of it definitely i I think that'd be amazing and you'd i that would be actually really neat to have it printed on like cloth i never even thought like the screen printed on cloth that would be pretty awesome and i don't see why that would not be possible so you you just might have introduced how we're going to do that for the super awesome backers um, I, I mean, my parents uh, played because, I, I mean, I was born in 82, so some of this <laughs> is still really little for. Right. But my, I found probably, oh, what was it? I want to say when Wind Waker came out, they had the pre-order bonus and it had the original game. I found my parents' hand-drawn maps of the original Zelda. Oh, yeah. With every, I mean, my mom, my dad played and my mom made the maps and it's got Every yep. enemy that's in the room, where every key is, where every heart piece is, uh, for every dungeon, and yep. then just and in general, like she had four quadrants and gave it um, where all the heart pieces in the world were. You know, bomb this. I mean, it was just like, yeah. holy cow! They don't make strategy guides like this anymore. Other no, than I, yep. you know, hand drawn versus printed, but just so cool. Well, and that I actually just found. Um, some of my old Zelda stuff and yeah it actually has the game came with basically a tutorial on how to make maps yeah like how like you're the explorer here's how you can make a map so you can you know you can remember where everything is and that was just revolutionary I mean that was just something that you know wow this is so cool it is this huge world and it's so hard to remember you got you are the adventurer you're the explorer you gotta make the map so we might provide something like that in this too just because we kind of want that feeling of oh, this epic world, and you know, by today's standards, people are going to look at it and be like, "It's this is a joke. It's so small, you know, whatever. It's it's only X amount of screens big." But you know, to the people who people who get it will get it. People who don't will never understand, and that's okay. We're we're okay with that. Yeah, I mean, the first Zelda, we all thought that world was huge. Yep. yep. It's like, how am I ever going to see every screen of this game? And then when you finally did, and you knew you, you had everything memorized. And you could just flow through the game in a sitting. And you were like, I, I, "This is awesome!" Yeah. And you don't get that feeling anymore because you go and the game is, you know, a hundred hours long, and you sit with game FAQs up on a second screen, right? Telling you what to do the whole time, and you're not really playing the game. You're just and I'm instructions. I'm praying that that doesn't happen, and I don't think it will. I I want it. Okay, this is an interesting little anecdote. So I was telling you about that little game, that little web game that I made for the um, the, Zelda, the Zelda movie site. Okay. And and uh, I did that as kind of like a novelty, you know. It basically it's a game that you walk around and plays just like a Zelda game. You get a sword, you fight monsters, and the monsters have clever names like L A U Y E R S liars, and they have fines and fees that they attack you with. There's these little snake creatures. You know, or like S-I-N-N-I-X, cynics who are trying to stop the film from being made. You know, little inside jokes and things like that. 
Um, but you play around this world, and there's like three bosses to fight, and if you beat them all, you get you basically unlock the magic DVD, and you you walk over to it, and it plays a clip from the documentary. And I just did it as a novelty because I thought, oh, this would be fun, and then everyone will talk about it, and people will go to the site. But people got into it. Like there was a whole like blogging back and forth. How do you do this? I can't find where this is. I'm like, dude, this is a game I made over a weekend. It was it was just a novelty. Calm down, you know. And so on the one hand, I say no one's going to take it to that level with this game that we're making for the NES. But then I don't know. Maybe they would. I definitely didn't think they would take it to that level with that game. That game was kind of a joke. So I don't know. Never know how well, fans are going to react. Right? Especially the extreme ones. Yeah. So we will see. I'm hoping I'm hoping for that level of like people designing strategy guides and But yeah, I, I, I totally know what you're saying. Like back then when you didn't have the group your support group was you called your buddy on your friend, how do you do this? I can't find this and he would tell you or he'd come over and you'd figure it out together and that was cool, man. Like that was that was really neat. And that was a whole different type of social gaming, you know? Uh, it just I miss some of that because now it's like you just go, oh, let me look this up, fine, and it goes from there. I don't know if I have any more questions. Cool, man. Well, it's been a marathon, so it's yeah. been one hour and 23 minutes. So yeah. that's that's uh, that's awesome, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, I uh, love this type of stuff. I mean, I'm sitting here just geeking out listening cool. to it. And awesome. then it's like I have to, oh, crap, ask a question. <laughs> oh, that question again. Yeah, I, I love this stuff. Um, well, I, I will bet I will gladly keep you updated on the progress, man, as we go. And if you ever want to check in, and just find out like what ridiculous part of it we're on or what we're doing. You know, feel free to check in anytime. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gerald loves posting the, these smaller cool. stories because they get more views than some of the bigger stuff. Sure. Because everybody covers the bigger stuff, so right. it's definitely cool for us to. Uh, Talk to somebody like you who's making something that we all feel is awesome. So, Thanks, man. I'm glad. It's good to have you guys support. Um, did you want to throw out your social media? I mean, I'll type it out to, to, to sure. look with it, but all yeah. your how to find you things. If you go to www.thenew8bitheroes.com, right now that'll take you to our Kickstarter for the duration of the campaign. Uh, when the campaign ends, it'll it'll lead back to a, a, a website and a uh, production blog um, and facebook.com slash the new 8-bit heroes or on Twitter it's just new 8-bit heroes um, yeah I, I know that there's a Pinterest and a Tumblr and a Instagram I don't, I don't know what they are my marketing person <laughs> handles all that so I, I don't know what they are but I'm sure if you search Pinterest the new 8-bit heroes you'd find it okay um, I'll find it and get links up for it uh, awesome. Thank you very much. This is Aaron OSU Waterpolo with yourgamesource.com talking with Joe from the New 8 Bit Heroes. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Cool. So, the New 8 Bit Heroes is uh, actually a series of projects. First and foremost, it is a new video game. Not just any video game, but a video game for the greatest console of all time, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And it's also a documentary. It's a film about the creators of this project and their insane quest to build something that's actually going to function on that hardware. And last but not least, it is a series of tutorials that can help you or other people who might be interested in making their own Nintendo Entertainment System game. It'll be a little bit more updated than this.
Let's take a look at the different components of this project. When I was seven years old, I had these lofty aspirations to make a game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And recently, I accidentally stumbled upon these old drawings I'd done for that game, Mystic Searches. I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool to see that ambition be fully realized? So I put together this, this really awesome team of creatives, you know, from a published fantasy novelist to, to help with narrative development, to an established cartoonist and illustrator to help with the concept art, a young pixel artist who really has an eye for the 8-bit aesthetic, to a graphic designer at IGN, to a film score composer. You know, and we're all coming together to create this new fantasy adventure game for the Nintendo Entertainment System based on these 30-year-old design documents. We also decided to make a modern game that'll be housed on flash memory inside the gray cartridge. And what's really cool is the two games are going to be able to talk to each other. When you unlock an achievement on the NES game, all of a sudden that ability or that weapon or that item is open to you in the modern game. I'm not sure that anybody has, has really done anything like that before, and we are really excited to create that kind of experience for the player. As a filmmaker, I realized this was a great opportunity. You know, what happens when you take these modern creatives and, you know, limit them by the constraints of the Nintendo Entertainment System? Can they still make a compelling experience? Some people think looking at these older graphics that, that you know, maybe this doesn't look as good graphically as a modern game. And while it's true that a lot of this look was an outgrowth of the hardware constraints, there's absolutely an art to it and, and getting to rediscover that art uh, where every color and every pixel and every byte of data is precious. It's a really interesting challenge. As a fantasy writer, I have to start from a place of limitless possibility to create these giant worlds with profound detail. We're going to have to take that detail and whittle it down to a point where we can present the story without compromising on its integrity yet conforming to these archaic limitations. The gaming community has been really supportive and there's a lot of great people that we're going to feature in the documentary. From the guys from Yacht Club Games who did Shovel Knight to Brian from V-Blank Games who worked on Retro City Rampage to the guys over at Collector Vision and Civic, the creator of Battle Kid. People from the NES dev community who are creating new homebrews for the system. Obviously, this is a project that we're all, you know, very passionate about, and I'm going to guess you are too, otherwise you wouldn't still be watching the video. Um, you know, if you want to see a brand new 8-bit NES game come to life, or if you want to see a documentary about how that's done, or, you know, if you want to make your own 8-bit Nintendo game and, and you want to step in the right direction as to how to do that, um, please help us, you know, pledge, check out the rewards. We've got some great things for our backers um, and spread us. You know, we need to get the word out there. So get on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram and Friendster and MySpace and AIM and whatever you cool kids are into these days and, and get the word out as far and wide as we can. Um, I really appreciate your support and we, we can't do this without you.